Hi, I'm Jen. And I'm Jen. Welcome to Marginalia Pod. Where we treat reading as a sacred practice and find meaning and connection through our favourite books. I would like to begin by acknowledging the Guy and Darug people, traditional custodians of the land where I'm recording today, and pay my respects to their elders past and present. I'd also like to acknowledge Tangata Whenua of Tifanganui Atara, where I'm recording today. How was your week, Jen? It was just a very long week that seemed to go forever, mm. but it's fine because I've reached the end and this is my favourite part mm-hmm. and I've been hanging out to talk to you all week, so I'm very excited. I know, because we're in the book. One of the books that I think kicked things off for us. This is one where we have always connected over the feelings and mm. emotions. Yeah, I was thinking about how this is probably the first one where we've read, where we both kind of, we remember what happens, we know all the characters, because up until now, like, you've read the Scorpio races more than me, so you knew that better, I knew Neverwhere better than you did, mm. I barely knew Strange the Dreamer. Yeah, and it had been a long time since we'd both read Fangirl too, so. Yeah. Yeah, this is much more recent. Yes, I think I read them in 2016, 2015, 2016, yeah. so it's not that long ago. I've actually not reread them. But I'm very much all about them because I love the characters, so I think about them a lot. I read them because you recommended them to me. It was because you said I had to go read this book, so off I went to go and read this book. And then immediately had to go and buy the other two. This was before The Raven King Mm. came out. So I like finished The Raven Boys and then stormed off to the bookshop straight away. (laughs) I was pretty sure I got in trouble for that too, if memory serves correctly. Because you were like, they're not done. The series isn't done. How very dare you. Which, fair enough, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> no regrets, though. They're amazing. Um, How's your week been? Yeah, pretty good. Um, I had a little moment of wonder. I think other than the fact that I had a headache all week, which really sucked, I got to go on a walk with my son down to the creek. There's like a little creek. It's in our neighbor's garden and it's capped over with like concrete, but it opens up just at the bottom of the street nearby. So we went for a little walk and we poked around and we looked at some things and like I was showing him all the different flowers and telling him the names of them. And it was just really nice. I mean, he just really wanted to go outside and be outside for a bit. And I knew that he had yet another Zoom appointment. So I was like, right, let's go get all of our wiggles out. So we went for this little walk around the neighborhood and I just really enjoyed it. It was a nice moment in an otherwise painful, headachey week. Oh, that sounds lovely. Good to reconnect with nature, you know? And I like spending time with my kids. They're the best, so. They're adorable. You're very lucky. They really are. They're so good. Mm. Um, How about you? Did you have a good moment this week? I did. I've recently taken up boxing. I'm excited to hear about this. So this was my first, like, proper lesson. So I'm meeting with a personal trainer to, like, teach me how to box properly. And, yeah, we had that on Tuesday, and it was just really fun. Like, I'm always on the lookout for an exercise that I will actually enjoy because I'm just – I don't like exercising, and I don't want it to feel like work. But I've always kind of enjoyed boxing. I've done a little bit of it before in, like, group classes or group training sessions, and I've always suspected that I'd be quite good at it. So I'm like, oh, I'm just going to try. I'm just going to sign up with this um, lovely woman and see how it goes. So, yeah, I had my first lesson this week awesome i love that i think it's nice when you have the appointment because then you're more likely to go and do it yeah so far so good yay. i will report back yay can't wait to hear it you're tall so boxing is good you can knock people down and then step on them and that's like the ideal thing <laughs> i just had this urge like i'm like i want to learn how to fight i need to learn how to fight i talk a big game it's about time that i learn how to back it up this is just because we're reading about ronan lynch isn't it and like well i mean ronan doesn't hurt he just fights with everybody and everything what's that great line in the book if it has a social security number Ronan is fault with it yeah (laughs) listen well we should actually talk about the book that we're going to be spending this season on so it's season five and we're returning to an author we've already covered uh, Maggie Stiefwater and we're reading the first book in the Raven cycle which is the Raven boys and we're very very excited and we annotated each other's copies too which was really fun that was fun I love finding your notes in there it makes my day I'm like oh that's a Jen underline I can tell. I hope you can read my writing. I tried to be especially legible for you because sometimes I can't read my own writing. I was not as kind. I just scribbled whatever or I like put symbols like exclamations and love hearts and like frowny faces. So sorry. Well, I love seeing them. It's great. I loved it. Um, Well, okay. I'll start us off by reading the book blurb so we get an idea what's happening. Every year, Blue Sergeant stands next to her clairvoyant mother as the soon-to-be-dead walk past. Blue never sees them, until this year, when a boy emerges from the dark and speaks to her. His name is Gansey, a rich student at Aglianby, the local private school. 
Blue has a policy of staying away from Aglinby boys, known as Raven boys, they can only mean trouble. But Blue is drawn to Gansey in a way she can't entirely explain. He is on a quest that encompasses three other Raven boys. Adam, the scholarship student who resents the privilege around him. Ronan, the fierce soul whose emotions range from anger to despair. And Noah, the taciturn watcher who notices many things but says very little. For as long as she can remember, Blue has been warned that she will cause her true love to die. She doesn't believe in true love and never thought this would be a problem. But as her life becomes caught up in the strange and sinister world of the Raven Boys, she's not so sure anymore. Such a good story. It's just like her craft is so good. Yeah, it really is. And like, it really struck me reading it this time as well, just the way that she draws. It's a real masterclass in showing and not telling, how she shows you what the boys are like. Yeah. How she shows you the foreshadowing as well. And, and it's the, so great. <laughs> the way that she shows you is different from each of the perspectives. So even though it's om- like it's an omniscient narrator, you get these limited perspectives for each person. So Adam's observations of everyone are filtered through Adam's perception. Mm-hmm. But they are told as if they're true. But as the series goes on, we see that they are Adam's perceptions of things and not necessarily what the person yeah. he's thinking about would think about themselves or even like he ascribes a motive that isn't there and i see this more with Absolutely. adam than anyone else but oh yeah even in this section so we'll get oh, to that absolutely. but yeah there's so yeah. much of that so we chose connection as our overarching theme which i think is a really good one do you want to talk a little bit about connection i think that was amazing like i forgot that we had chosen connection and then i started <laughs> reading this i'm like wow we're so clever this is great um we're so smart <laughs> so yeah just this idea of like the connection as the relationship between people and things mm. and i think you know, connection is all over this book. It's between everyone, between everything. The whole story is basically about connection. Yeah. So I'm really excited to like dig into that and see how that unfolds. I feel like I should also mention that we will be spoilering the whole series because we do love it. Yeah, and I think part of doing a close reading, we will we do plan to do the entire series, so don't worry. We're not going to just do this one and then blow through the next three. I know we did that with um, Strange the Dreamer and Muse of Nightmares, but we're actually going to dedicate time to each of the books. So it's not going to be consecutive. You know, like we have other books in there too, but we will cover it. So don't worry, we'll get to it. Mm. But yeah, we're, we're going to talk about the spoilers. And part of the reason is so that we have a better understanding for what we're dealing with because the book is a cycle and it's meant to be read knowing that the beginning and the end like interlock and interlace. I think we'll get more out of it by looking at it that way. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we'll get more, you know, as we're treating it as a sacred practice and trying to get lessons for ourselves, looking Mm -hmm. at the characters as a whole, as their journey as a whole, will also, you know, be a good guide for us. And like I said before, you know, this is the first time that we've really had a firm understanding of the book. Like, we remember what happens. So I think it's going to be hard not to talk about spoilers. (laughs) And also hard to slow down because I always get reading on this book and then can't stop. But I'm looking forward to getting so much more out of it. Same. And I love these characters so much, like all of them for different reasons. So just spending this time with them is just such a privilege. But yeah, if you are reading this book for the first time, sorry, I guess. But if you are like me and you think that spoilers actually add to your experience, like I like to know what happens. This gives you something to look out for. Like we can talk about, oh, in book three, this will happen. Or, oh, remember when she does this in the second book, you're able to go, Mm -hmm. right, that's something. I'm going to file away for later and then if you do read it later you can go oh I agree or disagree with the gens because yeah and then email and let us know we want to hear we want to know okay well to kick us off we read the prologue and well through to chapter four through the theme of destiny so did you have a little destiny story for us I do I do it's a little bit sad so I'm sorry but it has Mm -hmm. a good ending I promise So when I was a kid, I was generally considered difficult, um, which often led to my mother telling me, wait until you have kids. They'll be just like you. Then you'll see. So this threat of duplication became the destiny that was burned into my brain. Um, Now, ignoring the fact that telling a kid that they're their own worst punishment is just awful, even when they are being a rat bag. And I definitely had my moments. It was said so often that it became like baked into my identity. I felt deep down in the core of me that it indicated some cosmic personal failing. I was such a damaged person that if I had kids, I would be dooming them to failure. It was a trap, a cycle, and I was terrified of like perpetuating it. Now, there was one conversation that changed all of this for me, and the credit to this this conversation goes entirely to Sarah. I don't remember when we actually had this conversation, but I know it was before we both of us had kids. She has this incredible skill, Sarah does, where she can take something and reason through it in a way that it's like when the picture of the vase becomes two faces, Mm. (laughs) you know, like she can do that, but in conversations. And I love it because it's not something I'm very good at. So we were talking about this concept and she had heard the same thing growing up. Oh, you wait till you have kids. They'll be just like you. Only she transformed it. She alchemized it 
Good, she said. I'll understand my kids. That reframing, that negative turned photograph, changed my entire perspective. Like suddenly this destiny wasn't this box hemming me in, but an opportunity. If I had kids like me, sensitive, weird, bad, you know, all of the (laughs) things that I thought I was, then I would already know what it would be like to grow up with that brain. And if I didn't, then I could learn. So that change of perspective changed my life in so many ways, not just in that one area, but in every other way. I no longer had to be afraid of what I was because mm-hmm. I could grow into who I wanted to be. I had a lot of work to do. I still have a lot of work to do, but the choice was with me to do the work. And that's how I view destiny. That, yeah, life is out of our control in a lot of ways, but we do choose how we act, how we live, how we grow. We are able to change. We can, in short, make our own destiny. And I do by the way have kids like me I do and they're awesome Mm -hmm. and every day I get the chance to remember that I can be who I needed so my kids have adults in their life that they trust not to hurt them my kids are supported my kids are encouraged my kids are loved unconditionally my kids are not a punishment but they are a gift all of the things that I was told about myself that were bad when my kids do the same thing or act in the same way I just don't see it as a failure all of those faults are just opportunities it's an opportunity for me to know them to love them to teach them how to be kind and generous and fair and I get to make those choices over and over every day loving my kids was a way for me to love myself when I didn't know how and it's a gift that I keep giving to myself and to them so destiny is a series of choices I think fate might be what happens to you but destiny is where you go with what you've been given and so I'm just gonna take every chance that I have to alchemize what I've been given and I am going to always choose to spin straw into gold Yay. Oh my gosh, I love that so much. Your kids are amazing. And I bet you were just as amazing. Oh, I was definitely a rat bag. I will (laughs) say right now, my parents were trying the best they could. And I think that they needed a lot more support. And I definitely needed a lot more support. I work really hard Mm. to make sure my kids get that. And that does make all the difference. It's also just weird how we, you know, as a society, there's this expectation of what, you know, a kid Mm. should be or what an adult should be or what a woman should be or what a successful person should be. And then you try to shoehorn people into it. But everyone's different and everyone has their own benefits and their own pros and cons. Like there is no perfect mold. Well, exactly. And the things that we deal with in our household, it's like teaching our kids to be respectful of other people. We adjust to each other, but also try to be respectful. Like, I don't want my kids to be different. I just want them to be able to be kind to each other and to themselves. Yeah, no, that's great. I love that. That's such a lovely framing of destiny as well. It's like we make our own destiny. So thank you for sharing that. Anytime. Thank you to Sarah for saying that all those years ago, because that really was a total game changer. Sometimes you just need a new perspective, right? Exactly need a friend who can kind of go actually that sounds like nonsense (laughs) here's what I'm gonna do with that this week our theme was destiny and I found a lot of examples of destiny in the text because we are talking about people who read fortunes for a living that's so good I should do the chapter summaries oh yes please do prologue through to chapter four here's what happens blue sergeant daughter of local psychic has been told her whole life she will kill her true love with a kiss Blue, a megaphone for supernatural energy, goes along with a visiting psychic, Neve, on St. Mark's Eve to help amplify the voices of the future dead on the corpse road. And for the first time in her life, she sees a spirit of her own. His name is Gansey. We then encounter Gansey alive and well, waiting for his friends Ronan and Adam. Gansey has a ley line-related discovery that he can't wait to share. After stopping at Monmouth... Monmouth? Monmouth. Manufacturing. Monmouth. Monmouth. Thank you. To collect Noah, the boys head out for pizza at Nino's, where Blue just happens to be a waitress. Wow. Now, I couldn't put all of the things in here that happen. I had to omit Declan, and I was very sad about that. (laughs) We also get to meet Ronan's obnoxiously perfect older brother, Declan, and his throwaway girlfriend. And I think we get the most depth on Adam. Yes, because we've got that whole big chapter that's just his, right? So we've got a couple of chapters on Blue, one chapter from Gansey, and one chapter from Adam. But Adam's is very meaty. I have a theory that this is Adam's book. And the next one is Ronan's, and the third one is Blue's, and the last one is Gansey's. That's interesting. I'll definitely keep that in mind. I was just thinking, because this one isn't even about Gansey. No. (laughs) This one is Adam's book. This is where Adam has made his third option. I have trouble thinking of anyone or anything other than Ronan Lynch, so I'm just going to preface that straight (laughs) out of the gate. Ronan is one of my all-time favourite fictional characters. I love him. And so I'm just like, this whole story is Ronan's story. I don't care. Like, he is everything. Everything that he is, it's all important. (laughs) I just love him. I love him so much. As you should. He's very lovable, even though he's poisonous. 
I think part of the thing is that I see myself in Ronan. You know, we'll we'll explore that through the coming weeks. And look, I am the first person to say that I'm 100% Gansey. Well, Gansey's just delightful. He's a Hufflepuff. Aww, bless him. He collects all of his friends and he looks after them and he tries to take care of them and he always does the wrong thing, but not in a mean way and he's, so, he's good at finding things. So anxious. Yeah. Um, okay, so there's destiny in the opening line of this book. I don't know if you saw that. <laughs> But the first line is, Blue Sergeant had forgotten how many times she'd been told she would kill her true love. Destiny. Straight out of the game. Mm -hmm. Destiny as in what is foretold, foreordained, what is bound to happen by fate. I still think that there's an active component to it. Like, fate is just what happens, but destiny is like the path you make to enable what happens or the path you take while this is happening. Mm. And I really want to talk about that a bit when we talk about Blue and the conversation she has with Mora about, should I warn him? Yeah. I just want to flag that I want to touch back on that. I think it's so interesting because we are dealing with psychics. So Blue lives in this big house, whole family of psychics, all these Mm. amazing women. And, you know, she doesn't have any psychic powers of her own. But she also makes this comment that, you know, they're not specific. And then we find out later that Mora says to her, actually, they are specific. We just don't delve into that. And I just, I'm fascinated by prophecy, right? Because often when there's a prophecy, people trying to stop the prophecy is often what causes the prophecy to happen. And so there's this whole thing, like, you know, what comes first, the chicken or the egg? Like, okay. Am I allowed to talk about the Order of the Phoenix? Go, I go for it. Yeah, okay. So this, the whole thing with, with Harry Potter and prophecy has really affected the way that I think about prophecy and fiction because the whole point of it is that it only came true because Voldemort believed, believed it, it was mm-hmm. going to come true. Mm-hmm. He treated it with honor. He honored it. And therefore he like sealed his own destiny. Yeah. If he had just ignored it, it wouldn't have happened. No, because they go looking for it. And often this is the case. And Mm. Blue sort of attempts this. Like, there's that moment where she goes, when she was 15, she decided the tarot cards were just like playing cards and they didn't mean anything. It wasn't going to come true. And then she's like, but she knew better. Yeah. She can't quite believe it. I wonder what it would be like to have spent your whole life being told this one really specific thing about yourself. And in some ways, I did have that experience, but nothing so whimsical or romantic. I just had a lot of people being like, oh, you love to read. You love books. You're going to be a writer. Mm. And like, okay, yeah, sure. Like that vibes. But it wasn't like you're going to kiss and kill the first person you fall in love with. or Like, that's very specific. Yeah. But then I think she's also trying so desperately to draw connection. Like, if we go to our other theme of connection, like trying to put the pieces together. Like, she's quite frustrated mm. that it's not specific enough. Like, it doesn't tell her how long after the kiss is he going to die. Yeah. When is it going to happen? All these things. Something that would help her contextualize the prophecy. So I feel like... Is her mouth made of bees? <laughs> I feel like that's her trying to draw connections. And we see a lot of that, if we think about connections, as people trying to connect the dots. Like, Neve is trying to connect the dots between things that Maura hasn't told her and why she's there. And Adam is always trying to connect dots that only Adam sees. I think Adam is very intuitive, but I also think that he is too cautious. So I have this thing where I think that he's right. They're being watched, but I don't think that we know who's watching them until the second book. Mm. Like, that's my feeling about it. Adam is interesting because he's so perceptive, but... I think he sometimes sees what he expects to see. Yeah, he's filtering it through this like response that's trauma-based because he's a perpetually traumatized being. Mm. And he likes thinking he has all the answers and he knows the truth of things when other people don't. And it really struck me when he said only he knew the truth about Gansey. He sees these two versions of Gansey and like... Gansey wants to find the Welsh king because of all these reasons. I'm like, you're projecting? Yeah. Like, that's not Gansey's reasons. Those are your reasons that you're just seeing yeah. in him, right? Gansey's entire reason is because he lived mm. when he wasn't, he felt like he wasn't supposed to. Like, he's doing this because this quest was given to him for, like, he feels like for his life. Mm. But now that he's on it, the quest itself has become important outside of it being like, you've been told to do this. And this is where Adam falls down. Adam thinks it's about Gansey, like, making himself more, Mm. like, greater and bigger. And it has nothing to do with that. Gansey could not care less about that. He just has to find this. And it's, like, the most personal Mm. reasons. I think Adam has no idea. And the idea that he sees Gansey as two separate people is really troubling to me because it tells me that Adam is two separate people. So this is the line. I'm just going to read it because I think it's so good. It's page 45. He says, He was everything Gansey wished he could be. Wise and brave. Sure of his path. Touched by the supernatural. Respected by all. Survived by his legacy. So that's why Adam thinks Gansey is trying to find Glendower. But like... That is not it at all. And that is not Gansey at all. And the fact that Adam sees him like that is so 
baffling to me. Yeah. But I think that Adam is actually a lot like Ronan in that he sees things in black and white. So he sees the world as very, you know, Ronan is the yeah. ultimate black and white. There's no yeah. shades of grey in Ronan's world. But the difference between them is Ronan lives himself by that code, whereas Adam doesn't. Like, Adam is all shades of grey. Yeah, he makes judgments about things, but they're not coming from a place of, like, moral absolute confidence. But everything about Adam is a performance, right? He's performing who he wants to be. There's that bit where he says, you know, he's showing Declan and Ashley around Monmouth and he says, Adam felt a familiar pang, not jealousy, just wanting. One day he'd have enough money to have a place like this, a place that looked on the outside like Adam looked on the inside. But he still won't be happy. That is the tragedy of Adam. Like, he will have that and he still wouldn't be happy. And he doesn't know that yet. He doesn't know this because... It's Gansey's thing. He sees this and he sees it as this. He wants to, it to look like this or be like this. But he just needs to find the thing that is equivalent. Like he's looking at what Gansey does as that being... The model. Yeah, the model. Yeah, but that's not it. It's the idea of something bigger than yourself that you can contribute to or lose yourself in. Like he needs to find the thing that he actually cares about as much as Gansey cares about Glendower and Henrietta yeah. and the search for the ley lines. Yeah, he needs to stop acting and actually start living because all he's doing is a performance of what he thinks will make him happy and he's just not, he doesn't, he's not there yet. Makes me so he sad. He really isn't and I worry the most for him out of everyone. Like I think Ronan might be in the most mortal danger but Adam is in the most moral danger of all of them because yeah. he wants what he wants so badly. Like he's the Slytherin of the group, right? Oh, he's a Slytherin through and through. Yeah. Okay, yeah. good. Just so we're clear because I think Ronan is a Gryffindor and I think Gansey's a Hufflepuff. Oh, yeah. But Adam is a Slytherin. He's the one who is always watching, always waiting, very ambitious. Like, he talks about Gansey as having two selves, like one that he, you know, puts on in the morning. But that's Adam. Adam puts on a different face for every person. Well, and he has to. Some of the ways that later in the book we see how Gansey's parents sort of talk about Adam's family in a very disgusting mm. way. And I have heard people, people that I consider, like, reasonable, intelligent, compassionate people say similar things. And it really bothers me that Adam judges his own circumstances and himself against Gansey. It's infuriating because I have been Adam and I know exactly what he's doing and I hate it because I hated that part of myself. Not jealous mm. but wanting. Yeah. It's hard. It is really hard. Yeah. All his circumstances are difficult, right? Mm. Like, and I hate that he's always harping on about how much he hates his accent. Just want him to be happy so badly. I just want him to love himself, but he's got no self-esteem. We've both done this, though. Moved to a new place and yes. then immediately done as much as we can to not sound like we're from somewhere else. Yeah, you want to fit yeah. in. And that's everything about Adam. He wants to fit in. He wants to fit into this posh world. So, you know, he talks about not drawing attention to his loose thread on his yeah. jumper because he doesn't want anyone to notice. It's just, ugh, Adam. I am the same way. I am the same way, especially about clothes. Like, they have a mark on them. Like, the fact that Ronan goes around and is so capable of just wearing disgusting clothing and he doesn't look after it, that is something I could have never done. I always felt like my presentation had to be better than anyone else's because I didn't have as much as other people. Mm. Like, I think part of the reason Adam is so hard for me as a character is because I see a lot of the things that I worked hard to get rid of in my own life. Like, when you don't fit in and when you desperately want to not have to worry about how you look and, and you just want to be invisible but not in a marginalized way it's hard you just you want to pass yes 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 you want to be passing Adam right? wants to be wealth passing hmm. but I don't know that that's going to make a difference for him I really don't think it's going to make a difference for him no I don't either like money yes money does make life better because you can then buy the things you need and it's comfortable and you don't have to spend every second of your life worrying about how you're going to continue existing that is true but I don't think having like Gansey amounts of money is going to change the way Adam feels on the inside it's not going to make him look like the inside of Monmouth Manufacturing the way he thinks it will no you know there's a whole thing about money not buying happiness and to an extent because money gives you security that money does actually buy you yeah. happiness because you're not stressed about things all the time yeah. but then I don't know Adam needs to do some serious soul searching he needs to still grow into himself he needs to figure out what he wants because you know look at Ronan Ronan's loaded but he's wild and upset and angry all the time yeah. so I just want to know where is the 300 fox way full of therapists because that's what everybody needs <laughs> Just where all the, like the psychics are great. I love the women that Blue lives with, but like, is like 298 Foxway, is that maybe like a group of counselors? Like, <laughs> where is this? Where is my spinoff series where they all just get better? <laughs> 
Um, I was interested to think, I wanted to ask you, how much Blue's knowledge of her future informs her decision making, right? So she knows, she's been told that she's going to kill her first love. And then the first thing Neve says to her when she opens the door is, this is the year you'll fall in love. So someone said that to you. What do you do now? Well, if it were me, I would 100% go out and fall in love because I love being in love. But if I were Blue, Blue Sergeant, who's an eminently sensible person and is not saddled with uh, ADHD and compulsive issues uh, you look i think she's really sensible she goes out and she kind of avoids all of the boys that could cause trouble for her and she doesn't really have a friend group this is what really makes me sad is that like mm. so like i think that there's something about kids who grow up not having like a peer group where they don't really understand or connect with other people they kind of all end up for glomming together and that's what the gangsy is right like gangsy mm. was never a child really Adam was never allowed to be a child. Ronan had to grow up really quickly and awfully. And Blue was always treated like a miniature adult. So none of them were really socialized to be kids. Mm. But Gansey passes more yeah. than any of them because he's actually just like a nice kid. Yeah. So I, that's what I, that's where I think. I think that Blue is just kind of weird. Not bad, but weird. Yeah. yeah but she knows, like, she's not going to go and kiss anybody. She's already decided it. she's never going to fall in love. Mm. I just think she's hanging on to that really hard. Yeah, because like Adam describes them, you know, he, he says on page 50, Gansey could have had all the friends he mm, wanted. Mm -hmm. Instead, he had chosen the three of them. Three guys who should have, for three different reasons, been friendless. And I put that down as a moment of connection. I thought that was really mm -hmm. a good indication Same. of how Gansey looks for people that he actually can care about and form a genuine connection with. Gansey looks for people who are the right people for him. Mm. And sometimes he puts himself into emotionally bad positions with them. Like he and Adam have with Ronan well Ronan yeah but like he and Adam have a really fraught relationship too mm. because neither of them really knows how to like interact in the right way and I'm laying a lot of the blame for this on Adam's doorstep because Adam doesn't connect well yeah he's so prickly right he's so sensitive yeah he, he takes everything um, personally when he could maybe not yeah I saw so much connection between them like like Gansey is the connection that connects them to each mm. other because without Gansey you know there's no way that they would all be friends right so he's the one that anchors them but they know each other quite well. Like, there's a lot of communicating. Like, Gansey and Adam communicate just through looks. Gansey knows all of Ronan's silences and what they mean, so they can just talk to each other. I love the bit where they bought Gansey a burger and there was no sauce and no pickle yeah. on it because they know him, yeah. you know? So there's all these things. Yeah. But then why Adam has to talk to Declan, I don't know. <laughs> I think because Ronan doesn't... Like, there's that line where Ronan despises all phones, including his own. And he won't even take mm. his own phone back. He's like, don't hand me that thing. I love when authors do that because that's such a good way to be like, yeah, later on when something happens and you can't get Ronan on the phone, we've already clarified mm -hmm. that's why. It's like the same in Carry On where it's like, Simon's phone is always out of battery. Good. So now we don't have to <laughs> fill that plot hole later on. It gives you the negative space around the characters, which is what we're getting with Ronan. Like, Gansey and his fussiness around particular foods. Gansey doesn't like coincidences. Ronan is surly, but Gansey's immune. We're getting all of this from, like, basically four mm. pages. And yeah. Adam is the careful diplomat that is trusted to do the heavy lifting because Ronan can't be trusted. He's too volatile. And Gansey is their elected leader, and he's not to be bothered with that. He can do it, but Adam is there to do it. Yeah, and, you know, Adam talks about how Gansey already has a weight on, like, it weighs heavily enough on Gansey as it was, mm. right? So he doesn't want to tell Gansey that he feels like maybe they're being watched, yeah. maybe they need to be more careful about who they tell, because he wants to be sure before he takes that to the king. It, 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 he is like the king, is he is, he is their king. Um, I love that Adam describes him, you know, as being, like, valor and all these things. Where's this line? I have to find it. It's so ridiculous. Because I was just like, is Gansey Captain America? Because this <laughs> sounds a bit like it. Page 43. Everything about him suggested valor and power and a firm handshake. I'm like, so he's Captain America. <laughs> I, I think, yeah, I think that we're meant to feel... Adam sees Gansey as being kingly, but he resents that that's been conferred upon Gansey in his mind. Maybe more than actually has been conferred upon Gansey. Because Gansey's a mess. Mm. I love him, but he's a mess. Yeah, and this is another bit where I saw connection, right? It's like, Gansey really cares about connecting with people. Like, this is really important for yeah. him that he forges a connection. So there's that whole bit where he remembers what other people have said to him about his, like, whole quest, yeah. right? He's, like, remembering all these specific lines where people said, you know, the world turns out its pockets for you, that sort of thing, on page 24. And then he gets really mad at Ronan for making them look bad in front of Ashley. Yeah. And it's like, why does this matter to you, Gansey? But it really it does. It matters because it's not kind. Like, he doesn't want to be seen as being cruel he doesn't like that that's that's beneath him 
cruelty is gross to him. Ronan was cruel. He was very cruel. And he didn't need to be. That's Ronan, though. It, it was Ronan. And, like, it's not that it was wrong. That's the other thing. Like, it wasn't incorrect information. Yeah, Declan's not going to be spending much time with this girl, really, because all of the people in Declan's life who aren't mm. a lynch, they're disposable because that is how he is surviving. Yeah, but it's not Ashley's and fault. And it's not her fault, no. And so, like, why was she made to pay the price for it? And Gansey can yeah. see all of this and he feels it instinctually. Like, he's, he's mm. also an INFJ. So, like, he knows that this is not okay, but it's really hard for him to say, you know, like, Ronan, you actually have to care that other people have feelings. That actually has to mm. matter to you, because Ronan is hurting so much that he just doesn't. No, and that's, like, I love that line on page 49 when, you know, Adam observes, he'd chosen his weapon well, only the truth untempered by kindness. Mm -hmm. He's black and white. Yeah, that line about how infidelity just doesn't work for him. He doesn't understand it. It goes against his moral code. It reminded me a bit of Kath and Ren and the difference between how they approached, view, like how they viewed their mom, right? Like you either mm -hmm. are or you aren't. Like you can't be half in. The same is true for Ronan. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's like, he lives his life in absolutes. Mm. You are or you aren't. Yeah. There's no in between. Whereas Adam is all in between. All the time. Yeah. He lives in the in between spaces. He's working to be able to slip from one to the other. And to do that, you have to be malleable. But he doesn't allow himself to see other people like that, which is what I find yeah. fascinating. Yeah. He doesn't see the shades of grey in Gansey, right? Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, he's he thinks he's water and everyone else is a rock. I wonder if it's because he thinks that because they're also privileged, they haven't struggled and therefore they're not capable of being multi-dimensional like for him Ronan is just angry he doesn't know Ronan from before yeah. so he thinks he's just angry and wasteful and they fight all the time yeah they fight all the time yeah. for a different reason but yeah <laughs> they also do dumb stuff together this is one thing I keep coming back to whenever I read these stories they do boys will be boys stuff mm -hmm. put a moving dolly <laughs> to the back of the car and like take turns driving around with the other one on the dolly like this is a stupid thing to do and they both get like scabs all over them and like that's because Gansy's just like no I'm not gonna do that he's the dad friend but he does do donuts in the parking lot with ronan of course he does then... he has that impudently orange car nobody has a camaro like that without wanting to make noise he's a no. hoon he's just a very respectable hoon i want to talk about destiny and the whole church situation so we've got blue and eve sitting out there yeah. waiting for the thing it reminded me of a you know the second pirates of the caribbean film where you've got tia dalma and she looks at will and she says there's a touch of destiny about you yeah. and that's what i felt like you know when neve says it's a night yeah like this is a night it felt like there was a touch of destiny about the whole thing yeah i was really stuck on the idea that blue wants to make her own destiny and she's falling into mm -hmm. when things start to happen that have been prophesied so she's at this real crossroads of like these things are going to happen to her and she knows they're going to happen to her but she still has the opportunity to make of it what she will right mm -hmm. and i think the reason that i'm able to allow destiny as like a foretold thing rather than a set of choices is because i know that this is a cycle because we have noah's perspective it's in the last book right where noah yeah. is in a cycle and I do want to talk about that a little bit because it reminded me of another text, but I'll get back to Blue and, and the church. I love that she gets to see Gansey. And I think that this is important because she knows that the connection is there. And she also is aware of exactly what's going to happen to him before it happens to him. And she still has to enter into this relationship with him, knowing that she's going to lose him mm. and probably love him. Like that, that's what kills me is that she finds herself pulled in, knows she shouldn't be. Mm. And just, she has to live with it. Yeah, and even before she, you know, they haven't met yet in person, but she's had she's this... She's seen his spirit, yeah. Encounter, yeah, his spirit. And there's only, you know, two reasons why you would see the spirit. Either you, they're your true love or you killed them. But in her case, those two things are the same. Okay, no, those dos. Yeah, exactly. Both is good. And then even before all that, she is asking Mora, you know, is there anything I can do to prevent his death? And she says, you'll just ruin the last few months of his life, yeah. right? Like that boy is going to die so that is destiny already it sucks yeah. and Mora says you know you're fated to meet him so there's this destiny that's baked into it yeah Mora is not happy about the situation but she's also at that point that all parents get to where they're like well you're a kid that I have raised and I can't do anything about this so whatever like she's annoyed because it's out of her control she's no longer in charge of the destiny surrounding blue she can't really put the brakes on it and she sees it's like watching in slow motion a, a ball about to hit your kid in the face you know that's how yeah. she feels she's like yeah. no but she can't actually get there in time to prevent the impact yeah I, I was also just fascinated by Gansey's whole thing in this because like Neve tries to scry with him and then she says he just disappears mm. and Maura's like yeah that happens around here but then Adam also has a line where he says he's struck by Gansey's agelessness and there's something about Gansey because he has had 
you know, he's on borrowed time. So there's yeah. something, that he's a man out of time. Yeah. Yes. You know, if we think of it as being a cycle, he's out of the cycle, mm. floating on the periphery, which is fascinating. And like, you know, he's got that urgency. He might not know why, but he feels like he has to find Glendower because he's on borrowed time. Like he knows it. Absolutely. It motivates him. Well, and there's this idea as well. Like, I love that they're searching for a sleeping king, someone who can be woken from the dead when that's already happened. Gandhi mm. was revived from the dead and he lives with death every day, which we discover later. And that, that's actually one of my favorite scenes in the book when Blue's like, oh, he has a life-threatening allergy. Cool. Okay. That's a perfectly normal <laughs> excuse for people to have the death card appear all the time. So I love how her brain just goes, oh yeah, that's why. So sensible. That makes sense. Yeah. I, and I really love it. Um, I think Blue really wants to make her own destiny, but she's also aware that like trying to contravene it, she has questions about it and she's trying to test the limits of it. But she's mm. kind of aware that like whatever choices she makes at this point are going to be winnowed toward a point where an event happens. Mm. And this event has been told to her. So, And she's already seen the consequences of that event. Yeah. She's already seen her spirit. And then Neve talks about, you know, if you want, I can see what killed him. Like it really struck me that she spoke in the past mm. tense because of course this hasn't happened yeah. yet. It's only coming in the year. Yeah, but to her, he's as good as dead. I think it's one of the interesting things that Neve is so perceptive to the other things in the room. Because mm. I don't think that they're there for everyone else. I think Neve's got no. a lot of really creepy things happening. I totally thought that as well. I had that in my tangential marginalia. marginalia. It's like this is a foreshadowing of her being a bit more in touch with the other side. Things yeah. that Mora and the others will not really dabble with, you know? And it's important to note that Neve is receptive to this. Like, I mm. think the reason that she's there is because Mora needs somebody who's more willing to cross those barriers. And she's like, she's a sound medium. She's a, a good psychic, but she's not the person you actually really want to help you find your butternut or whatever. Yeah, because like you get the sense that Blue hasn't seen someone scry before, right? Yeah. Because when Neve's doing it, she's like, what's happening? And yet Mora is watching Neve and she's like, knows what to expect. So she's capable of doing it. You just get the sense that that's not something they dabble yeah. with. That's something that is a bit other. Yeah. Yeah, I think they stick with the tarot because it's what they're comfortable with. Like, yes, I view it like this. I can crochet, but I'm not particularly good at it. Whereas, mm. like, I would rather sew any day of the week if I'm going to be doing something crafty. And that's, the, like, these women, this is their sewing and not their crocheting. Mm -hmm. That makes yeah. sense. Whereas Neve is like, yes, I can crochet, knit, do nala binding like the Vikings did. And also, here's my macrame that I made from the devil yeah. or something. Like, <laughs> she's got a lot more tricks up her sleeve. Um, but they're not necessarily more as native thing. I think that Persephone does some scrying later, doesn't she? Or she scries in a different way. Am I remembering that correctly? Yeah, Persephone is a bit more of the... But she's a bit more true psychic. I yeah. feel like she is more like hardcore queen psychic. But... And um, and Kala is the tactile one. She's the one who sees yeah. through touch. Yeah, she holds an object and then she can read. I think it's called psychometry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something, Something like, like that, that, yeah. I love the women. Like, I love mm. Mora and Kala and Persephone. Like, they're barely in this, but we've got that line where Blue talks about how when they were waiting for Neve to turn up, they would have, like, these whispered conversations mm. and they'd stop as soon as Blue walks in the room. So you get this real sense that they are a... Unit. Yeah, they're a unit, right? Like, these three women. I just love it. Three witches. <laughs> yeah, very Macbeth. Portentous, right? Like, they are, they are saying mm. the future and they're also saying this future is inevitable. I do want to remember destiny in the context of something Mora says much later, which is a bit of a cheating thing. She says, first of all, the corpse word is a promise, not a guarantee. So it's saying that Gansey will die in a year, but it's not a guarantee of anything. Mm. And I think about that a lot in this series because I think that that, it, it tells the reader everything you need to know about, like, what the future looks like for them because they are very specific and they can see what's happening. Mora's a great character. She's very interesting. She's a very hands-off parent, which is something I can't, like, I just actually can't be with my kids. That's fine. It's my pleasure and joy to do. But I, I love the description of Blue being raised... Mora had decided sometime before Blue's birth that it was barbaric to order children about, and so Blue had grown up surrounded by imperative question marks. Will you mm. do this thing that you obviously have to do because you're a small <laughs> child and I'm the adult? Like, it's so funny. Just tell them, like, no, it's bedtime. Sorry, sweetie. Off goes the light. Mm. Like, guys, it's okay to give kids boundaries. A lot of kids actually like knowing the score and being told what they can and can't do. There's another great line on page eight when she says, you know, when she was younger, she never appreciated how little Mora called to join a reading. Mm. But now that Blue understood how well she honed other people's talents, she was impressed by Mora's restraint. Yeah. Good parenting, Mora. That is fantastic. I actually have that as well as part of the destiny she didn't ever drag her daughter into her work she always let it be a volunteer option she always said like this is something we can do and I think when I look at it in terms of like kids helping support their parents in like an intergenerational family community environment what she's doing is providing Mora with help on 
say like St. Mark's Eve, like the whole point of going to the churchyard on St. Mark's Eve is that if Maura has a client in the area, she'll let them know that they're going to die within a year and to get their affairs in order. And like clients pay for this privilege by going to Maura as their psychic. And it can't be that lucrative really, but it probably does help in the way that it puts food on the table for Blue, for example. Hmm. So she is a help to her parent, even though she doesn't really understand why or how or what she's doing. And so of course she's yeah. willing to do it because she's sensible and she sees it as like, well, this is me contributing to the family business basically. Yeah, and I saw connection in that, right? So like there's a connection in all the psychic abilities that all these women share. It's a point where they can all commune. It's how they're sisters, even when they're not really sisters. Correct. Yeah. And for Blue, like her ability to amplify connects her to a family, even though she herself does not have psychic powers. And Neve remarks that to make someone else's gift stronger is a rare and valuable thing, right? Yeah. So, you know, Blue is sort of conflicted about that because she doesn't really want to feel needed so much yeah. because she, she, you know, she, she doesn't want to be She likes being needed. Utilized. She doesn't want to be, she just wished it didn't feel like being useful. Yeah. But she's happy that she can still be part of it. But I was wondering, because she is an amplifier, is the fact that she joins the quest, the Gangzi, mm. what really suddenly, finally, Gangzi is making progress because Blue has joined and she amplifies the weird. Uh, yeah. But I guess we'll get to that as we move yeah, on. Yeah, absolutely. 110%. She is the missing link. And later, Gangzi actually is like, this is what we've needed. This is the person we have mm. needed. They were missing something that now they're balanced again. Yeah, and like there's a bit which I had in my tangential marginalia, which I'm just going to mention now because it kind of makes sense. It's like when Blue opens the door for Neve on page four, it says, Blue knew what their frantic howls meant at that moment. They were on the chase. Such a good bit of foreshadowing. It's so hidden, but it's like, yes, because Blue is now on the chase mm -hmm. as well. And the gangsy is on the chase. And this is everything that's just like, this is a moment of beginning. Like it's all kicking off. The hounds are baying and it's all happening on yeah. Fox's way. Um, I think that one of the main areas of connection that I really want to explore through this text is the connection of Henrietta to its residents. Maura mm, won't leave. Good. Blue feels like an incredible kinship to the trees on the property. When they're scrying, she feels like she's inside of a wood. She feels like she's inside of the mm -hmm. woods just then, which, you know, is because, spoiler, she's half tree. And so I really want to think about the landscape, like Henrietta as like a, a character as well, because mm -hmm. the ley line is so important, but Henrietta is on the ley line and Henrietta's on the ley line for a reason. And I mean, like you see Gansey also like building his little model of Henrietta. Yeah. Like you get all this really intense Henrietta moments. And Aglenby, even though Aglenby is a private school, it has the Ravens that was known to be Glendower's bird symbol and so like that seems to have a link as well and it's in Henrietta which is otherwise a very tiny town that doesn't really seem to suggest a yeah. lot like it's a weird place to put a private school I love how everyone in Henrietta sort of low-key hates these kids <laughs> it just gives me joy like they'll watch him break down on the side of the road just to like revel in the joy of yeah. it and his humiliation if you think that wealthy people are snobs wait until you meet people who are like small town <laughs> small community people they're no bigger snobs exist in the world their town is the best their mm. local high school is the best their football team might not win any games but they're the best and so on and so forth and you don't get to have an opinion if you're not from oh, there no, absolutely not and if you've only lived there for 20 or 30 years you're basically still brand new could be three or four <laughs> generations back before you're even considered to belong which is kind of what like you know blue mentions when they're waiting for the corpse right often people have the same mm. surnames because the families have just been there for years and years yeah. and years and her mom's not even from henrietta mm. um so much about the accents southern accents being rural or like a hick accent but then you have gansey's old money accent which if i can find a, a link to the YouTube video I'll put in the show note because it's a really very specific accent that just you don't find it anymore but Gansey apparently has it like Maggie Steepwater has written about which accent in particular she had in mind for his like showmanship discussions mm. His old money yeah, accent. Yeah, but I really mm. love it because it, it says Nancy's really good at belonging, even though he never feels like he belongs anywhere. He works really hard at it, but he's earnest in that yeah. work, which I think is different from Adam, who's doing it to an end. Like, Gansey actually wants to be part of something to be part of it, whereas Adam, I always feel like, wants to be part of something to conquer it. Yeah, and that's kind of it's kind of why Adam is destined to fail, because he doesn't understand the difference. Yeah. Like, he's always going to chase something for the sake of it and never for its own end. And that's not how you're going to be happy, buddy. No. I did put that I think we're already seeing Adam trying to rewrite his past in order to affect his destiny, hiding mm. his accent, hiding the fact that he's a scholarship kid. And that's look, that's tricky. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't know what that was like to have to decide. But I do have moments now where I realize some of my peers have grown up with great privilege and I definitely didn't. And I find that disconnect really jarring because I don't think about it often. But when I realize it, like, oh, you grew up in a house with a tennis court attached to it? Like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. Adam is not yet at the point where he can kind of get past that and realize that it doesn't matter as much as he thinks it does. 
and that also he doesn't actually want to be part of that club. He sees it as an almost a personal failing, right? Mm. Like he sees Gansey's wealth as like a personal failing, but that's not Gansey's fault that he has privilege. Yeah. Like he grew up in it. So it causes me immense anxiety when Adam kind of gets really shirty at Gansey for being rich and for like throwing his money around or trying like when people try to help Adam and he's just like so angry about it. Yeah, cuz he doesn't want to be owned, which is something I can understand, I guess. But the thing is like if you're offered a helping oh, what's that there's that great parable about like you know the guy is drowning and he says no no god will save me and a guy in a boat comes by and says oh can i help yeah, you oh, yeah. no, god will save me. oh the guy in a helicopter no no god will save me and then he drowns and he's like god he didn't save me and he's like i sent all these boats and helicopters like <laughs> yeah and this is where like i'm not saying that gansey is god but this is what adam is thinking he thinks he has to do it all himself when actually it's again not being able to see the shades of grey right because for him it's black or white so if, if Gansey helps him then Gansey owns him but that's not how Gansey is offering it at all no. that's not the kind of person Gansey yeah. is so you're doing him a disservice by viewing him like that yeah that creates but. a lot more friction and tension in their relationship than it needs to frankly if I had had a friend like Gansey in high school I'd have been like you're always paying oh absolutely <laughs> you always get the bill for Dino's thank you and um, yes I will let you buy me fast food every time we go through the drive through because that makes sense economically and also if i was gansy and i would just pay for my friends because money has no meaning so why wouldn't i well exactly that's what the black amex is for just use it when you're that wealthy like it really doesn't matter he's like landed gentry wealthy like generational wealth it's not like ronan which is criminal wealth <laughs> but you know yeah ronan is irish mob i guess and gansy's like politician son and like american royalty son and adam is like what we would politely say is white trash i'm aware that's mm. a racialized term but that is what he would be called the idea that he knows gansy would only choose people to be around him that he loves and trusts and still can't trust gansy's motives for trying to help him it just bugs me man like i know let your friends love you <laughs> let them love you just let anyone love you please adam i beg but then you. he would have to face the mortifying ordeal of being known and he really doesn't want that because what if they know him and decide that he's really not worth it I love that we're, we're having this conversation in episode one. It's going to be so hard. Oh, I can't even think of um, I want to talk a little bit about how Blue, when she finally experiences the supernatural, the first time she actually feels magic and knows that it's magic. She thought it would be thrilling, but it was actually terrible. I know we've already spoken about how Adam doesn't want to burden Gansey with this additional worry but blue notices her mother's burdens already and is like aware mm. of them and she says on page 14 there was no thrill in seeing him as she thought there would be all she could think was he will be dead within a year how did mora bear it so she's aware that her mother has this responsibility or this job to see the, the future dead and watch them as they go on their on their walk and knows their destiny but she's having to be really strong and just write the names down or say the names so that blue can record it so that they're there and i think that that speaks a lot to mora's character that she's willing to do this and she does say like there's nothing to be scared of dead people aren't scary it's not mm. something to be afraid of and she's right about that the thing that eventually becomes the villain or the entity or whatever later isn't really a dead thing is it no nah, it's more like a demon yeah yeah it's situation it's not dead though like and more is right that there's nothing to be afraid of from the dead but there is the future loss and the future grief i just you know blue knowing that something is going to happen and that she will endure this loss probably even though it doesn't really feel real she's already getting those back echoes of grief I suppose you could argue that we're all going to die, so should we all be grieving all the time? I'm willing to just pretend we're all infinitely alive forever. Yeah, me too. I think if we <laughs> wait long enough, it'll happen. They'll just download us. Yeah. I did have some tangential... Did you have any more tangential marginalia? Um, I actually just wanted to spend a second talking about the connection between oh, yes. the Brothers Lynch. Yeah. Well, firstly, Declan uses Monmouth Manufacturing as an easy connection point with his girlfriends. Like, he's just like, I've got nothing in common with these women. I'll take them on a tour of my brother's weird little novelty house, yeah. and then we can talk about that, and that can be our point of connection. So that's weird. But um, they are just so complicated. <laughs> and I love that Gansey talks about page 21 freedom in the lynch family was a complicated thing and i'm like buddy if you think it's complicated now just you wait you have no idea how deep this complication goes um i just realized we also haven't talked about noah basically at all yeah we need to keep track how often he makes reference to being dead yeah so this is the first one because i miss this every where time he says, i've been dead for seven years that's as warm as they get when he shakes declan's um disposable girlfriend's hand and it's like Ah, ha, ha, how funny. But uh, just keep that in mind, kids. 
Oh, that's right. Yeah, on page 50, it says, What lived between the Lynch brothers was dark enough to hide anyone else's feelings. And I would posit that it's dark enough to hide their own feelings. Like, these boys do not engage with their feelings at all. Like, this is Ronan's entire problem. Like, Gansey has that line where he says he tries to dissolve what's left of his heart in music, right? In the bass line. And, you know, I think Ronan actually just feels a lot all of the time. And so he doesn't want to. And that's why he does all these things. Like, he listens to his music too loud and he lives too fast and he does all these things, right? Because he doesn't want to be alone with his thoughts or his emotions. Yeah, 100%. That often people who are like simmering balls of eternal rage just don't have any other outlet. And Ronan's nastiness is like an emotional reaction. Getting that emotional reaction is just as fulfilling as like somebody who's sad getting a hug. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. One of the worst things I think for Ronan is that he can't actually talk to anyone about why he feels the way that he does, right? He has so many, like he's got two secrets and he can't talk about them to any of his friends. absolutely running away from his destiny. It's not in a healthy way. Oh, Ronan. It's a lot. Um, did I have any other tangential marginalia? You had tons. I had like three. We've already spoken about loads of them. Actually, this is what I wanted to talk about. So, on page 17, the way that we meet Gansey. So this is his chapter. The first line that we hear from him is, It's me, said Gansey. And I just love that this is how we meet him. Because it reminds me of what he said on the corpse road. Like, you know... Blue asks him, is that all? And he says, that's all there is. And then we get a, a callback to that again later when when Neve is trying to scry for him and Blue says, he only said Gansey and Neve says, that's enough. Which again, is yeah. that's all there is. I just love that you've got these little nuggets and there's like four chapters and you're just, it's bringing it together. He just wants to do nice yeah. things for the people he loves. He's just trying to save everyone all of the time. Yeah, he does have a bit of a savior complex, doesn't he? Yeah, he's rescuing his mates, right? All the time. Yeah, well, he's rescuing Ronan all the time. Adam won't let him. Yeah, he would have been good. Like, with Ronan, he's just trying to give Ronan options that Ronan isn't interested in. Yeah. Adam is interested in options, but he won't let Gansey give them to him. Gansey wants to get Ronan through high school, so he's able to say that he has done that, you know? Like, whatever Ronan does afterward, he can't really do that, but he can get him through high school, and he can get him through a nice enough high school that he will be able to do whatever he wants. What Gansey is doing is making sure that when Ronan, if he has that revelation that he wants to do something that requires a tertiary education, he'll be able to do it without having to go through Mm. any more hoops. Ronan just sees it as inconvenient. Adam sees it as like these two equals are thrashing something out rather than Gansey's just trying to usher people through life in the proper way <laughs> so that they have chances. Adam also views it as like wasteful, right? Like he sees Ronan as just, again, just being so privileged and squandering everything. Everything that Adam has to work so hard for and Ronan's like so derisive of it. Which is infuriating and I have definitely seen people who have every opportunity not taking it. It's, it just makes me want to scream. But I mean Ronan has his own issues oh, as to why sure. and how he feels that way and actually that was another bit of tangential marginalia that Mm -hmm. i had which is on page 40 adam talks about what the original purpose of monmouth manufacturing was and how they didn't know and it they made something that the world no longer needed is the line and that just reminded me of ronan Mm -hmm. and how he feels because you know he feels like he has no place in the world either he's something the world no longer needs but that's not true. No, but we see what happens when he stops thinking that <laughs> later on. That's not good either. Yeah, it could be. Uh, it could be a little better. I think they got some growing up to do. Yeah, thankfully they're only seventeen. Seventeen, sixteen. Sixteen. Yeah. Which, if the Stevie Nicks song that starts playing is "Edge of 17, mm. that would make sense. Good catch. Also, I love that song. Yeah, good song. Yeah, I love Stevie Nicks. So I had three little bits of marginalia. The first one is Lichgate, which is in the church yard. Mm. And that's, I actually went and looked that up, and that is the gate that the lich is the thing that you would stand under to wait for the coffin to come through. Like, that's the, like, cove. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. But the link I found was that it is from the same derivative word that you get like wake dirge, which was from Neverwhere. Oh, right. Yeah. That's the same root word. Which would make sense, because that was about purgatory, yeah. right? So these spirits are in purgatory because they're not dead yet, but they're going to die in a yeah, year. Yeah, exactly. They're traveling along the corpse road, and the corpse road always goes in the same way. And there's something about, I have always viewed churches, like especially older churches, as the cumulative energy of all of the worship and feeling and emotion mm-hmm. that have gone mm-hmm. in. Like I think a lot of these places have this energy, whether or not you believe or subscribe to it like to to me when I go to old churches I'm like bowled over by the feeling of all of the history within them I love this so much because this is something that I 100% believe in like you can go to places that have history and you can feel it like it's like soaked into the soil it doesn't necessarily have to be church 
pictures. It can be like ancient battlefields, like the Battle of Culloden in yes, Scotland. Yes. Like if you go there, you can feel it. But yeah, I think about this a lot. And this is something that comes up in American Gods, yeah. right? Where they talk about, it's not about the church. It's about, you know, there's churches on every corner in America, but some of them have history. And this is where Gansey makes a mistake because he goes to the new church. Yeah. The new church doesn't have history. You're not going to find but it But it is anymore. on a ley line. And this is like, he just thought, look, I'll just go on the one that's on the ley line. I kind of love yeah. that. This, this is so Gansey, right? He's like, I'll just pick the best option. So he found a church that he could find on the ley line. Because the other church is like not really a church mm. anymore. It's a ruin. Like it's just a ramshackle wall, basically. Can I tell you that when we went to D.C. back in 2017, we actually went to Monticello. So I was driving through a lot of that mm. like backroads Virginia I, like as I was doing it I was thinking of this book and I was thinking of how like it would be very easy to just like the, there could be a church in the woods and you would not see it because every other field there was a sign this thing happened for this war this thing happened for this <laughs> war like because I grew up on the west coast right so we just didn't have that but the east coast and especially Virginia they really take a lot of pride in their long history as a colony and as a battlefield and more than one battle so all of this history is just there for the taking so I, I can totally believe that there is a church on a ley line in the middle of Virginia somewhere I buy it yeah no I love this idea of like power in places this collective kind of like spiritual historical power that just seeps into the foundations this is why I go to graveyards because I love them so much cemeteries this is why the catacombs are so powerful for me all that human life that had been lived mm. You should come visit me and we can go walking through my ye olde graveyard. It's on my list. It just looks amazing. <laughs> it's going to be I so know. good. Someday. <sighs> it is. What else did you have? Um, then on page seven, it said the dead kept poor time, especially when there wasn't a moon. She's talking about how it's 11 and they already might be seeing spirits. Well, that's just daylight savings. Okay. That's just what that is. Okay. Because <laughs> we're in that right now where we're like slightly off by an hour because you're yeah. who does it before mine, which is funny. Um, but also this calls back to <laughs> Noah, who's a dead person who exists out of time and he's in a constant cycle. Yeah. And the thing that that reminded me of was, have you seen Misfits? Yes. It's Alicia and Simon, right? Oh, yeah. And they end up in that constant loop where like... Their friends pass them by because they're on a linear time, but they will always be in this cycle. Their mm. lives are trapped. They're ended before and after. Yeah, I like it just made me think of that. Like, that's where Noah is. He's always going to be in this loop with them. And they let him go at the end of the series. He's not a, he's not a presence anymore, but... Like, they get him for that time, which I really love. Yeah. And then this final one, which just made me laugh, which is on page 19, where Gansey's talking about how he is not at all not mad. He, like, he's not magical, and he's not really fussed by it. Uh, Gansey barely possessed first sight before he put his contacts in. <laughs> Did you have in-depth marginalia? Do you want to go first? So I had to choose between two, and one was about Ronan. <laughs> And the other one was about Gansey. So I'm like, no, because it's going to be 10 weeks of me losing my mind about Ronan. So let's ease into Technically, it. Technically, it'll be 40 weeks of you losing your mind about Ronan all up because we are going to do all four books. I know, but it also pains me to think about Ronan. Like, it's just, anyway, it's fine. I'm going to be fine. It's fine. <laughs> anyway, so my um, in-depth marginalia is on page 41. And it is basically, you know, Declan has brought his girlfriend to Monmouth and Adam is leading them inside to meet Gansey and so we're seeing Monmouth basically for the first time through Adam's eyes but as he's imagining Ashley's first impression I guess so the line is and everywhere everywhere there were books not the tidy stacks of an intellectual attempting to impress but the slumping piles of a scholar obsessed I think this relates to the theme because Gansey is obsessively looking for answers to his destiny he's trying to get to where he needs to be he's looking for the answers in the books and he hopes to find his path right and that's also how he finds connections in the hunt like in his hunt for the ley line and his hunt for Glendower yeah. he's finding answers in the books he's trying to link up different ideas he's finding clues across history he's putting the strings up you know always sunny style <laughs> he literally has maps on the wall with big text and marker lines on them so yeah yeah he's doing the whole thing well obviously it reminds me of Hermione who is always finding answers like in the library almost all of the problems in Harry Potter is solved by Hermione going to the library <laughs> and doing some research also basically in all fantasy shows there's always a book that draws everything together you see this in Charmed you see this in Buffy you see this in Merlin someone's always like oh what is this creature here is a convenient book that I've just been rifling through you know and even in Lord of the Rings Gandalf has to go to Gondor to rifle through all those parchments to figure out mm. if Bilbo's ring is actually the one ring and also strange the dreamer like yeah Laszlo is a man possessed by a mystery and I just think we see a real parallel between the two of them here because like there's power in scholarship but there's also an element of danger because you can get lost in it like Master Hurricane 
wants Laszlo to be a young man. He wants him yeah. to go out and experience things, not just live in the library. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's just what I want to use going forward is like learning is great and obsessions can be fun and useful, but variety is the spice of life and having diverse experiences will bring new pieces of information that you probably need to pull your mystery together. So don't just read the books. Books are great, love books, but you need to go out and experience things too. Yes, I love that. I was actually rereading an older manuscript of mine and thinking about how much research I had done about rock climbing, but I've still never gone <laughs> rock climbing. And I was like, I understand what this is about, but I've never done this. And I feel like it sounds like I haven't done this, so I need to go and do that. So I'm going to steal that and do that as well. There we go. As soon as it's safe to anyway. Well, come here. We've got a great rock climbing center. I'll take you. Thank you. I would love to. I'll belay. You belay. We'll all belay. There we go. I trust you. Aww. I've belayed for uh-huh. my kids before and they've survived. Kids do so much better at rock climbing. Like, I watch them and it's they just fearlessly up this wall. because they're only like 35 wall. kilos, that's why. Yeah, but they just go up these walls with no fear and I'm like, oh gosh, I'm three feet off the ground. This is terrifying. <laughs> like, no. The children don't have that problem. I don't have fear if I'm wearing a harness. I like it. If I, if I feel like I'm safe, I'm fine. It's when I'm like mm. swaying around with nothing. I'm like, okay, I'm not Alex Hornold. I'm getting down now. Thank you. <laughs> Um, did you have some in-depth marginalia? I do. Okay, so on page 32, Blue says to her mother, Mom, the church watch spirits. Can you ever prevent their deaths by warning them? And then, you know, there's another little conversation between. And then her mom says, I know what you're thinking, her mother said, after Neve had left the kitchen. Most of them die from heart attacks and cancer and other things that just can't be helped. That boy is going to die. So the context is, is that Blue is talking to her mother about Gansey because she saw him and she's never seen a spirit before. And she wants to know if she can, like, warn him or prevent his death. Like, is it possible? I think it relates to the theme because Blue really wants to believe in the ability to make her own destiny. She really wants to know that she has some control over it. She's Mm. trying super hard to, like, be in charge of her own life and experiences. But she is also aware now that she has a connection with Gansey. Whether she likes it or not, this person is going to come into her life and she will probably fall in love with him and maybe kiss him and kill him. She knows he's going to die. So, like, she's aware of a connection. She's aware Mm. that this connection is part of her destiny. But, you know, like, it, it sucks because... She now has to feel things about it, and that was not the plan, which I think bothers her quite a bit, and fair enough. It Mm -hmm. reminded me immediately of two different texts. For one, we're talking about destiny, right? And every time I hear destiny, I think, it's your destiny, destiny, which is from Finding Dory. And it just makes (laughs) me laugh so much. It's the fussy beluga whale and the nearsighted um, whale shark, and I love their whole dynamic, and I love their friendship, and Finding Dory is a great movie, and everybody should watch it. Um, we use that in our house as like a gird your loins kind of phrase. Like, it's your destiny, destiny. Oh, I have to mm-hmm. do the dishes. It's your destiny, destiny. Like, that's how we use it. So it makes me laugh. Oh, that's so <laughs> it makes nice. me laugh because we use it <laughs> so as, shorthand in, as a shorthand in our family for like, I'm going to go and do the really difficult thing that's often like a totally random chore. Now, the second text is that it reminded me of is a little bit longer. It's from my probably all-time favorite comfort read, The Blue Castle by Maud Montgomery. She also wrote Anne of Green Gables. Um, and in this book, uh, Valency has gone to work for a guy named Roaring Abel, who's a drunk, and he's also a hardcore Presbyterian, so he really believes in, like, things being foreordained. And um, so he and Valency are having a little argument about it, and she finally winds up, and this is very funny to me, she winds up saying, just the same, Valency said determinedly, there is no use in sending things to hell as you're always doing, and I'm not going to have you tracking mud all over a floor I've just scrubbed. You must use the scraper, whether you consign it to perdition or not. And I love it because she's basically Mm -hmm. saying, like, Look, you might think everything is foreordained, but you still have to wipe your feet when you come in after I've just mopped. What she's saying is even if everything is foreordained, we have a decision, we have an obligation to make the right choice. And we should be making the right choice, even if it's just a small choice. Even if our destiny is determined in advance, we should still be trying to do the right thing. So what I'm going to take from this is do the next right thing. I love that. I don't know why that's just reminded me of the Oracle and the Matrix. You know, when he breaks the... he breaks something and she's like, oh, what's he really going to do your noggin? And later is, will you still have broken it if I hadn't said anything, right? So it's this idea of like, do we have yeah. any free will? It was like, okay, fine, I'll scrape my feet because you've told me to scrape it. But was that yeah. always going to happen because that was your destiny? Like that was part of the plan that she was going to tell you this and therefore it's not actually a choice that you're making. You're not subverting everything. Everything is pre-written. We humans really like to have more control over our lives than we actually do. We like to think we have more control over our lives. And I think it actually doesn't matter as long as we're consciously trying to make the right decisions. Yeah, we should just accept it. Like, sometimes life is hard, but we can make it fun. We can do fun things. And we can always wipe our feet, whether or not Mm. we consign it to perdition. What a first episode, hey? It's already jam-packed. Like, it's going to be a season. It is going to be a season. It is a season. Yeah, as Neve would say. 
uh, Susan. Um, did you have a character you wanted to spotlight this yeah, week? Yeah, look, I'm going to spotlight Adam, because already we can see that he is not at his healthiest and best. And I have more than a little contempt for his stubbornness, because I am also guilty of stubbornness. This book is going to be my opportunity to be gentler with Adam, because I'm very hard on myself. And so all of the things that Adam mm. reflects back to me that I don't particularly like, I'm very hard on for him. So I'm going to try and be gentle with him, because I can tell even now that he's wrong about a lot. And we know that he's an unreliable narrator, but he still loves his friends. And that's the thing I'm going to focus on. So yeah, for me this week, it's Adam. How about you? I love Adam. Um, I love them all. I've decided to spotlight Blue this week. It just feels mm. like a lot for her, knowing she is going to kiss and kill her true love, knowing that she's going to fall in love this year, the general weight that she feels between being needed versus being useful, you know, and how she balances that, not feeling in charge of her own destiny. And then also this, she has this experience where she's yeah. completely drained by these ghosts for the first time ever like she sleeps for an entire day and she didn't even know that was like a thing right and why didn't neve tell her to move out of the way i know i know so irresponsible <laughs> neve's sitting there going oh you protect your daughter right and like she didn't even move her out of the way of all these ghosts yeah so you know i just feel like she's really been through it and like I worry for her. No one wants to feel yeah. like an instrument and not a person, right? No one wants to feel like just a hanger-on. Like She wants to make her own destiny, and that's a fair enough thing to want to feel. And I just, yeah, I want to give her a big hug because yeah. she's been through it already. And it's only going to get harder because now she's going to meet Gansey. I'm looking so, forward to yeah. it. President's cell phone. I can't wait. I can't wait. <laughs> Um, and on that note, so we'll be reading chapters five to nine through the theme of vices next week. That's going to be fun, especially in consideration of Ronan acting out. Yes, which I'm really, really excited to get into because I have so many thoughts. So many. I oh love it. Thank you so much, Jen. This was so fun. I'm so excited. Me too. I just, I think we're going to get a lot out of these mm. characters, out of this book. It's just so nuanced. There's so yeah. many different perspectives. It's got a real human element to it. That a real, you know, real life consequences. It feels yeah, like so. Absolutely, yeah. and I don't know. I just I love the idea of being able to join a group of friends and fit in as if you always were there, and that's what Blue does. So I'm I'm looking forward to getting into that a bit too. Yeah, definitely. Adding a girl always makes everything better. That's what I've learned from this. It's very true. It should always be the way. Oh well, we'll talk again next week, and I can't wait. Thanks for potting with me. I love to spend this time with you. Always. Alright, see you soon. Bye. Thanks for joining us today. Marginalia Pod is written, edited, and produced by us, Gen D and Gen V, with additional editing and production support by Simon B. If you enjoyed it, we'd love if you'd subscribe, rate, and review it on iTunes. Your support means the world to us. We'd also love to hear from you. You can email us at hello at marginaliapod.com. Our music is by Scott Buckley. Many of the things we've mentioned are in the show notes, or you can find out more about us and the podcast at marginaliapod.com.